There were numerous punishments which could be inflicted on convicts. During the early years of Port Arthur, flogging was quite prominent, generally the number of lashes inflicted being 24, 36, 50, 75, with a maximum of 100 delivered with a dreaded cat o' nine tails. Those in Britain calling for the end of this violent punishment would argue that by flogging a person, we are simply inflicting pain upon the external. The inner person becomes embittered by this, which was quite true. Also among convicts, there was the expectation that they should meet their punishment. Meaning convicts would stand up to it, take it bravely and stoically, and defy the pain. One man who endured his punishment in silence would later say, I held my pain within, I swallowed my pain. This is an example of the sheer pride and bloody-mindedness of one individual while enduring the lash. Some men would accumulate hundreds of lashes with apparent little or no effect. They may not have been impervious, but would very determinedly offer the impression that they were. A convict by the name of William Derencourt was reputed to have sung a song during his 50 lashes. Serial escapee Thomas Davis, following a hundred lashes, would spend a month recovering in hospital, but even that did not stop him in his relentless pursuit of freedom. And at a time when the possibilities of reform were being considered, it was well known that flogging did not achieve that aim. Many, including Commandant Booth, believed that solitary confinement was a far more effective punishment. Flogging at Port Arthur was gradually phased out during the mid to late 1840s. However, what replaced it would be something far more insidious and potentially far more damaging. The grey wall building to the south of the site was the separate prison. To me, the separate prison represents one of the more terrifying aspects of the penal system and the consequences of an overly ambitious and very flawed premise. A convict in total isolation under conditions of strict silence would have the opportunity to contemplate past misdeeds and to meditate upon them. The belief was that reformation would be generated from within and would therefore be more permanent. If a convict continued to cause trouble or disturbance while in the separate prison, there was the added threat of the dumb cells. These cells with their thick stone walls and four doors were not only soundproof, but lightproof, and the maximum sentence could be 30 days. You can still find a dumb cell in the separate prison. Try it out, I dare you. Convicts under separate treatment were required to wear a mask whenever they are outside of their cells to maintain their anonymity. And they were only outside of their cells when on their way to exercise for one hour each day in a walled yard watched by armed guards. Or when in chapel, where to prevent communication or pollution, each convict was locked into separate compartments. The separate prison robbed a convict of his identity. His name replaced by a number, his very face covered by a mask. But today it's quite different with visitors finding an exceptional display of photographic portraits of some of these men, including the likes of ex-soldier, deserter and definite hard-case Dennis Doherty. 
following years as a convict both on Norfolk Island and Port Arthur, where he endured dreadful punishment, Doherty would continue to remain defiant and as a consequence spent years in the separate prison, including sentences in the dumb cell. After 42 years as a convict, he would eventually confess, I am broken at last. I wonder, was he really, or just feigning? Age 16, when sent to Port Arthur for an attempted unnatural act, Leonard Hand was considered by Dr Coverdale to be mentally childish and silly as a result of his time spent in the separate prison, three years at his own request. Next to the separate prison is a fine-looking building with an impressive clock tower. This is home to our present-day museum. It was the Lunatic Asylum and would be the last major construction to be undertaken at Port Arthur, built in 1868. Housed within were men suffering from a variety of mental illness. A severe case was John Quigley, another ex-soldier whose behaviour had always been observed as erratic, often bizarre, to the extent where some believed he was actually pretending but especially so following a fight with another convict on Norfolk Island where he suffered a fractured skull and very probable brain damage. Quigley was considered too dangerous and disruptive for the asylum, so like a number of others, he would be kept in the purpose-built sea wing of the separate prison. Eventually a cage would be built for him outside of the walls at the western end, where he seemed to be quite content, although apparently on occasion... He could be observed running around his cage on all fours, roaring like a lion. Over time, it would become inevitable that a small number of those transported, who had not managed to find a life within the colonies, those infirm, incapable and growing older, would need at least a semblance of support. These men were the declared invalids and paupers. Broken old men in their 60s, 70s, 80s, rather unsympathetically considered by many to be the detritus of transportation. Richard Baker was 97 years old when he finally passed away here in 1861. He had been transported for robbing his lodging in 1822, before Port Arthur had even been thought of. A common cause of death recorded for these old gentlemen was visitation from God, another was expiry of life. The remains of their mess hall can be found just across the creek from the asylum, and by the mid-1860s, these poor souls, the declared invalids, paupers and lunatics, would outnumber actual convicts. The machine was definitely winding down. <laughs> 